we've been through some pretty crazy um, trails together and Thelma walks out like a steam train most of the time. So she's already learned to walk out like a steam train as well. Um, and so then I feel like I'm throwing less at her when I take her out by myself as like, than I would be if, you know, I just had her in the round pen. Then all of a sudden I'm like, we're going up a mountain. You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Welcome to The Ride, a bi-weekly podcast brought to you by Horse and Rider Magazine, co-hosted by Nicole Cherico and Devin Conley. In each episode, we chat with some of the industry's top trainers, clinicians, horsekeeping experts, and professionals to share inspiring stories, training philosophies, and the importance of living your best Western horse life. On this episode of The Ride, Devin talks with Jody Morton, a trail rider and mental health advocate who documents our journeys and trail riding experiences on social media under the handle Green, Golden Blues. Devin talks with Jody about her recent trips, what she recommends you always have on you when it's time to hit the trail, and what it's like traveling the country and the world solo. If you missed the first podcast episode we did with Jody, be sure to check it out to learn more about her. It's episode five and was recorded back in 2019. This episode of The Ride is brought to you by Purina. All right, welcome back to another episode of The Ride podcast. I'm Devin, and I am here today with Jody. And Jody is an experienced trail rider. You might actually know her as Green, Gold, and Blues on Instagram. She has had some pretty incredible adventures, rides some pretty beautiful country, and we're really excited to have her on today. So, Jody, welcome. Thank you for being here. You were actually a guest a few years ago on the podcast, right? Yeah, I was. Um, it doesn't really seem like that long ago, but I guess it's a couple of years now. That was um, back in 2019, and I had just finished riding a big section of the Continental Divide Trail, so I think we were having a chat about that. Yeah, that's exciting. And how did that uh, turn out? How'd that wrap up? I think that to date is still one of the coolest things I've ever done in my life. It definitely didn't go to plan. Um, but I think all of the best stories never go according to plan. I agree. I agree. And if you're either new to our podcast or you haven't heard Jody before, um, we're just going to give you a quick background on her. So Jody, I mean, obviously judging from the accent, you are from Texas, right? Is that uh, a little bit further South? If we keep going South and then further South and then oh, further, further South. south. Yeah. Right to the other side of the world. South. Oh, <laughs> The deep south. No, I am from Australia. Um, So originally, I was over in Australia doing a ride there. I did a 600 mile ride from Melbourne to Canberra. And then I meant to keep going, but the drought was um, making it really hard. And so plan B was to come over and ride the Continental Divide. And so I flew over and bought a truck trailer and horses and kind of got after it. And then I really, really fell in love with it, even more so than I already was, because I'd been living in Colorado and working on a ranch there a couple of years prior. And um, yeah, now I'm here full time. And I think you guys might be stuck with me for a little bit. We'll take you. That's all right. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. I was so <laughs> I'm speaking for everybody. Um, so, okay, 600 mile trail ride, and I know we have a lot of trail riders in our audience, and I, you know, I love to trail ride just to give my horses like mine something else to do. But 600 miles is daunting, right? Like that's a, that's a daunting drive in a car. Can you talk a, a, briefly about that experience? 
Uh, yeah, so that was actually my first ever long ride. So I guess go big or go home. Um, I had three horses with me then. I had um, my main lead horse and then two pack horses, and I would rotate them as I was going through. And that was actually a point-to-point ride. So I didn't do it in sections and come off trail. I kind of just went all the way through. There was only one um, – excuse me, one week where I did come off trail for a week. And that was because I had a family member that had a minor stroke. So I came off trail to make sure that he was all right and then jumped back on and kept going. Um, Whereas the continental divide was completely different because 2019 was a record snow year. And so I couldn't just go from point A to point B and resupply along the way because I physically couldn't get through all the snowpack. So I was what we referred to as a snowbow. So rather than um, northbound or southbound, I just kind of flipped around with the snow. And so I started out and did a section in the basin in Wyoming because that was uh, supposed to be the more mild weather for May. Ended up getting snowed on so hard the very first day and the second day. (laughs) But um, then I flipped up to Montana and did a couple of big sections there and then finished off in Colorado. So that was a little bit more hectic than my first one. Um, but that one actually started out with one pack horse for the first 300 miles. And then he ended up injuring his shoulder. Um, so I retired him and my horse Thelma is an absolute power walker. And I wasn't really able to find a suitable horse at the time that would be able to replace Tiger that would make a really good partner for her. And so what ended up happening was I did the last 600 miles single horse packing, which did make our sections before I had to resupply it a lot smaller than when I had a pack horse. But yeah, it taught me a completely new set of skills and threw me so far outside of my comfort zone. It's not funny, but there was a huge learning curve there. Yeah. Talk about like learning on the job. (laughs) You're just out in the wilderness with these horses by yourself. You're like, well... That's trial by fire. Mm-hmm. No, it it is, but I mean, you learn so much. And I was really lucky that I'd had that first trail and I was just coming off that. So I had already learned a whole ton of new skills um, there that I was able to implement on the CDT. So I guess I was able to graduate through the grades. We didn't just go straight from pre-K to like senior year, but um it was definitely an accelerated course. Yeah, no kidding. And you you ride alone most of the time, right? Mm-hmm. And you enjoy that. I Well, I do now. But when I first started riding by myself, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Um, I This is going to sound weird. I can be a really nervous rider. And so... When I ended up switching to just a single horse, riding by myself with just one horse was something that I hadn't really done a lot of before. And so the very first day that I rode by myself, it was actually in Glacier. And I remember pulling up to the trailhead and I only had Thelma and I was so nervous. (laughs) So incredibly nervous. Um, But at the time, I kind of felt like it was something that I didn't have much of a choice in because I was doing the Continental Divide and I couldn't find another horse. And so my options were either stop 
or start writing solo. And um, I'm really lucky in that Thelma is just an absolutely phenomenal horse. And um, it took me maybe five minutes of going down the trail before she was like, from the start, like, okay, this is no big deal. And then I finally managed to relax. And yeah, from then on out, um, I actually attribute a huge amount of my confidence to her. So that was, I mean, it's definitely not the way I would suggest a lot of people to start riding solo. Um, but that was my particular experience. And now I absolutely love it. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate you saying that like trial by fire is probably not for everybody. Um, but I think that's great that you're being honest because, you know, somebody listening might be like, yeah, wow. I kind of get nervous too for the first few minutes of a ride by myself. And then I feel better. Mm -hmm. Um, what, I mean, do you have any like advice for someone that might be thinking, I really, maybe they don't want to go 600 miles, but they want to go on a, you know, a, a nice ride this weekend, but they don't have anybody to go with. They got their one horse, a trustworthy horse. They're ready to hit the trail by themselves, but they've never really ridden alone. What, what could you tell that person? Ooh, that is a, a really, really good question. I think a big part of it is that you don't know what you're truly capable of until you go out and do it. And I don't think you get your confidence before you go and do something new. I think you go and do something new, it's scary, and then you get more confident and then you go back and do it. And each time you'll get a little bit more confident. Um, that first ride with her was just a huge light bulb moment. And I can still remember like all of the different parts of the trail where I just had these moments of kind of starting to breathe again. Um, and I think I've had a couple of people talk to me and they're like, well, what's the big deal? And I'm like, well, it was a huge deal for me at the time. Uh, and now that we've done, you know, a significant number of miles now it's not a big deal for me at all, but um, it's going to be a big deal for me again because I've got another horse up and coming at the moment, Saki, and she's got, I think, maybe 20, 25 rides on her at the moment. I've had her for a little while and I've been um, I've been putting off uh, putting rides on her for like terrible reasons because when I need to go out and do something and I know that I need a solid horse, I just naturally go to Thelma. Um, that's so easy to do when you it, have a finished horse sitting around. Well, it is. Um, especially when I know that, for example, if I'm going out with another friend that has a very green horse and they're on their first couple of rides, I'm not going to take my green horse. I want a pilot horse that I can then right. support them on if they need. Or if I know that we're going to be say like riding to into town and there's going to be a whole bunch of flags and everything around and a lot of movement. And I'm like, well, I want to go and grab Thelma. So, um, Saki, again, that's completely my fault. I really should be putting um, rides on her and I have made a couple of excuses over time if I'm going to be completely honest. Um, but I have been riding her more recently and she's phenomenal, but she's another one that I'm going to be taking out solo soon. And so for me personally, I really like taking her through the baby steps. So I'm currently living out of my horse trailer and I'm on the road right now. And so I'll move every week and I don't necessarily know where I'm going to be the following week. But in doing that, it means that I pretty much have to take both my horses with me. Um, unless I'm at an established campsite with corrals and I know that it's safe to leave one behind because they have supervision. 
So I've pretty much been taking her everywhere. So she's already learned a lot of the trail skills um, that I would require of Thelma. So she has crossed water. She's crossed ditches. She's been up and down mountains and through rocks and had to negotiate a bunch of obstacles. So I feel like she's getting um, really well set up for when I am out there by myself because we don't need to concentrate on having a bunch of obstacles or something new as well as being out by herself being new. Um, she's pretty much an old hand now at whatever I throw at her out on trail. We've been through some pretty crazy um, trails together and Thelma walks out like a steam train most of the time. So she's already learned to walk out like a steam train as well. Um, and so then I feel like I'm throwing less at her when I take her out by myself as like than I would be if, you know, I just had her in the round pen. Then all of a sudden I'm like, we're going up a mountain. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So it's like you've prepped her, you've gone through all the steps and, and then I, I again, I kind of like your concept of like, if you're waiting for yourself to be fully ready, that day might not come. Like maybe mm-hmm. you just have to, you know, face the fear a little bit and like you want your horse to be prepared, but yeah. just go try it. If you, if you're on a trustworthy, safe horse and you're, you know, your horse is ready. Mm-hmm. And before I got Thelma, she had already done one big ride. So the guy that I bought her off had been living in New Mexico. And the year before I got her, um, he had decided that he wanted to go home to Colorado. And so he decided that he was going to ride his horses home. And so it was her and her sister, Louise, funnily enough. And um, yeah, so he went out and rode and so she'd already had a lot of trail miles on her at that point. Um, I don't know how many of them had been solo trail miles, but yeah, she just cruised through and was the one that gave me my confidence. That's so cool. Those horses are just like one in a million to have one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, She's worth a weight in gold for sure. How old is uh, is Thelma now? Because you've had her for a while. Mm-hmm. So I bought her in 2019 when she was seven. Um, she was seven, rising eight, so she would be twelve now. Is that the right math? I think so. I'm not. Uh, you know, I was a history teacher, not a math teacher, but it sounds right to me. <laughs> That's, Perfect. She's twelve. <laughs> that, <laughs> That's such a great age, too. Like mm-hmm. I think, like twelve. You know, they're they're old enough to know better, <laughs> but uh, young enough to still, you know, go do everything you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. What other horses do you have in your string right now? Um, just Saki. Mm-hmm. So and. She's going to be the coolest horse. So one of the things that I have done with Thelma um, since I've had her is work up to doing some different things. And honestly, I never, when I bought her, even imagined that I was going to be doing this. But some of the things that we do right now is I ride her a lot of places bridleless. Um, And at least for her, I really, really like how we get along as a team when we are bridleless. it definitely makes me be a better rider um, because I can't get lazy and use my hands more than I need to. And so we go a lot of places bridalist now and it's just, it's really fun. I'm trying to find the English to be able to ex- describe um, how it's different and I can't right now. <laughs> so what does that look like? Is that with a halter? Is that with a side pull or is that with like a neck rope or what does that look like? Yeah, so I mostly ride her in a Bozal right okay. now. And um, so she'll most of the time tell me um, when we're good to go at bridalist, and usually I just lean forward and just 
take it off and hook it around my saddle horn and then just use my Makati as a neck rip. Um, but I mean, she is a red mare and every now and then she does have a little bit of spice to her. And sometimes, especially if I've been feeding her rocket fuel, also known as alfalfa mm. and haven't been riding for a little while, then she might tell me that, you know what, I think I want to make a couple more of the decisions today. And I'd be like, ah, you know, I don't think that's a great idea. Um, so those are the days where I might just keep that bozal on her. Um, she's still great. But, and then there's some days where we really don't have to do much at all. Um, and so those are the days where I'll just ride, like take off that bozal and we'll just go cruising. The PhD equine nutritionists at Purina Animal Nutrition tackle problems using science and their love of horses keeps them at it until they get it right. Even with the most established feeds, they keep innovating. Even when it takes years of research, they don't stop until it's right. They're dedicated to the scientific method, but it can't capture the feeling of seeing a horse reach their full potential. It takes science and love to help your horse live their best life. Put their research to the test at horseinnovation.com. That's cool. That's awesome. Um, this is might be hopefully not too difficult of a question, but I'm going to throw it at you. Like going on the trail again, where, you know, somebody wants to go out this weekend for a nice trail ride. Maybe they're not a big trail rider, but they kind of want to get into it. What are a couple pieces of either like gear or things that you have in your saddlebags that you suggest for just anybody who's on the trail to have? So one of the things that I don't ever leave home without, and granted, I am in the backcountry a lot and I don't have any service, but I have a Garmin inReach. And through that, I have the SOS feature and I'm able to send text messages. So for example, um, when we were out on trail and my pack horse injured his shoulder, um, still to this day, I have no idea what happened because we were just walking along trail. And all of a sudden he pulled up and was like, something doesn't feel right. And so I stopped straight away um, and just made camp for the night. But through my Garmin, I was able to text a friend. And um, then she came in the next day with an extra pack horse and extra banamine. I had butin banamine with me, but she brought um, extra banamine with her. And then we were able to um, give him a break and then pack him out over the next couple of days I was only gosh maybe 12 miles away from the trailhead at that point so we were pretty much done but um, because of that I was able to text her and get everything lined out so um, so definitely my Garmin um, and then in my saddlebags I always carry a tube of oral banamine just in case um, if I'm going to be going on a pretty rocky trail, then I have a hoof boot in my candle bag. Just, it's a scoop boot that, um, I have a friend down in Arizona who does fittings. And so she was able to fit Thelma and Saki before we left. So I carry a hoof boot and, um, usually just, you know, snacks, um, an extra jacket or slicker if the weather's going to be a little bit questionable, uh, one of the things that I always do before I do go out, especially when I'm not going to have service, is check all of the weather reports. Um, recently, I've been checking all of the fire and smoke reports as well to see what's going on because that oh, that's yeah. how it changes by the hour. Um, and, yeah, maybe maybe just a drink or two in addition to my water. 
and that's about it. <laughs> that, that's that's a, a good list. I, I like the idea of just carrying like some Banamine or Butte with you if you're out even on like a weekend ride because, like you said, your horse got hurt just walking, which is such a horse thing to do. Like just walking down the trail and <laughs> pulls up lame. Yeah, and I am still baffled to this day as to how he managed that. Um, but that is a question I'm never going to have the answer to, but I do always ride just with, um, yeah, that tube of banamine in my pommel bags, like just in case, because of course, if you bring it, then Murphy's law says you're not going to need it. And the one day that I don't bring it is probably going to be the one day that I need it. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So uh, when you're going on these extended rides, these really lengthy rides, um, you know, you've, you've used Thelma for a few of them. How do you keep a horse like healthy and comfortable on that long of a ride? Do you, is there anything different you do? Um, anything you really keep in mind, like how often you stop and rest, just kind of that, that general breakdown of like how you're keeping your horse comfortable on these long rides. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it goes without saying that good fitting gear is the be all and end all. Um, I ended up for my continental divide ride, I ended up getting very, very specific and my pack list came down to specific brands. Um, one of the things that I did kind of struggle with on my first ride in Australia was that the pads that I were using was like, they were wool. And so just with that movement, they were kind of starting to just burn off the hair a little bit. And I didn't get actual sores or anything, but it just kind of like burned off the top of the hair, you know, when it kind of gets a little bit spiky. And um, that was something that I really, really wanted to avoid on my second one. So I did end up being introduced to a different saddle pad when I came over to the States. And that was this, it's really funny, like honeycomb technology. And I think the company actually started out making like insoles for shoes and um, toppers for mattresses in a hospital setting to um, help with bed sores. That's interesting. Yeah, it's really strange. Um, But they distribute weight. And initially, because I'd always kind of been brought up with the, you only ever have natural fibers, you know, wool, cotton, uh, mohair, like that's it. And um, this one is more of like, a plastic in a honeycomb shape so initially like my bias was like absolutely not I'm not even going to consider it and then um, yeah one of my friends made me try it one day and it was an absolute game changer it um, did a really really good job of just distributing that weight and it was also really breathable so I had one underneath like as my saddle pad for Thelma and I also had one underneath my packing pad for my pack horse and I didn't really run into any of the issues on my CDT ride that I ran into on my first ride. Um, so yeah, definitely good fitting gear. And I had a couple of rules about camp. Um, so when I was out on trail, one of my big rules was we always had 12 hours in camp. Um, I was pretty good in the I get up really early and try and get up and out as early as possible. So I was usually up at five and then depending on if I had one or two horses, I was packed down and on the trail by six, six thirty. If I had two horses, maybe like seven at the latest. Um, and I did that so that if I did run into any obstacles, if I had a really big day of, you know, deadfall that I had to cut through, 
or anything, then I had the extra daylight up my sleeve. But I had a rule of um, like 12 hours in camp. And one of my friends that also does long rides, uh, she was the one that kind of verbalized that. And it's always been something that I've done as well. But so if we get into camp at 8 p.m., then we will not leave before 8 o'clock the next morning. Um, if we get in at 10, 11, we will not leave until 10 or 11 the next morning. So, um, and most of my campsites, if not all of my campsites, I already had planned out. I went and did this crazy Excel spreadsheet of death where <laughs> I went through the whole trail and looked at the satellite images to get an idea of what type of um, foliage there was. I went through the topographic maps to make sure that I'd picked flat areas and next to water. Um, wow. And, That's oh, awesome. I went through everything. My Excel spreadsheet of death had the mile marker, whether or not there was water, whether or not it looked like there was grass, like absolutely everything. And so I usually had a campsite um, A, B, C, and D for each day. So if we went there and the first one wasn't suitable, there was one time I rocked up and I was so ready to be done for the day. I was so tired and there was a big bull moose standing right in the middle of where my campsite um, was planned to be. And I was like, all right, I guess, I guess we keep going. And that Moving next on. <laughs> yeah. Thelma just like trucked on. She was so fit and I was like, I'm so done. This is the longest three miles ever. And she's just like, yeah, cool. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Oh my gosh. So that's, uh, I love that though. Like, I mean, I'm an organized person like that too, but geez, if you're going to go on a long ride like that, like to be prepared and know, yeah, where you're going to stop for the night, is there water? Is there grass? That's, that's awesome. Yeah, it took a lot of time, <laughs> and I did I that just about 2,000 miles of the trail. Um, so I spent, yeah, a lot of time looking at flipping between satellite, topographic, like the actual trail maps, so um, probably overkill, to be honest. I mean, yeah, but better better prepared, right? And, like, you can frame it now. You can print out the whole Excel spreadsheet and frame it, and it can remind you of all the fun you had making <laughs> your excel spreadsheet of death yeah um or or i could like file it away and never look at that again because it took hours and hours and hours of misery <laughs> well yeah i guess if it's trauma you know put it away but everything in the um contacts for farriers and vets for each area just personal contacts that i knew that i could call if i got in trouble um notes about any like if I looked up the trail and there were any comments about you know fences being down or any stock specific comments or something that was specific to that year like this water source isn't flowing this year I had it all in there wow wow I just think that's incredible to be that prepared because it's you're, you're looking out for your horses right and like that's mm -hmm. that's just a really cool way to do it um Speaking of horses, you know, if somebody's wanting to start to do like some longer trail rides or kind of get into some more uh, extreme trail rides, but maybe they don't have the horse yet. What kind of horse do you look for when you're horse shopping for some, you know, a horse that can handle the longer distances, the tougher terrain, the, the harder country? What are you looking for? Um, that is a great question. So a couple of the things that I would look for is something that is a relatively easy keeper, especially if we're going to be doing big miles. That's a big thing. Um, another thing that I didn't realize was 
as significant as it is on my first ride, especially after I found Thelma, is a horse that is able to really, really walk out is going to be hugely beneficial if you are going to be doing longer trails because um, not only is it going to kind of get you further faster, but if it's going to take you, say, um, gosh, again, math, if it's going to take you say eight hours to do a section of trail um, on one horse and it's going to take you 10 hours to do the same section of trail on a different horse because of their walking speed then that's two hours less that you have at the end of the day for them to graze and relax and rest and so I like to get a horse that is already a really really great walker or in the case of Thelma and Saki um, Saki had to learn to walk out really, really fast. And I think now she's actually faster than Thelma. She's getting a little bit bigger. Her legs are a bit longer. And um, so she's Uh an absolute speed demon. Um, So that, those are kind of two things that I would really look for, Um, as well as it goes without saying, just something that seems to have a really good mind. I'm not necessarily saying that they need to be super, super calm because, um, having a, a little bit of spice I think is good um, and that tenacity to keep doing long days. Like Thelma just comes alive on trail. The more we do when we're out there, the faster she wants to go. Um, it, Yeah, she gets so excited when we're out there. Um, but if I am looking for horses that are going to be a team, say like my riding horse and a pack horse, One of the things that I also really like is to have horses that are generally the same size and same shape. So if I need to move tack around, then we're not going to be dealing with a horse that might be really, really narrow versus a horse that's really wide. And if I need to have um, hoof boots, I ideally, like in an ideal world, I would like to have the, like, I would like to have them have the same uh, shoe size or hoof size and shape so that then... I'm able to easily interchange like that gear again, like we were saying. Um, what else? I think, yeah, I think that those are my main points when, you know, looking at horses and I'm planning on keeping both Thelma and Saki for a very, very long time. And I'm not going to be horse shopping for a while, but hypothetically, if I was, yeah. that's what I'd be looking for. Oh, that's awesome. And I love how it's, it's kind of some, uh, you know, outside the box suggestions almost too, like beyond just like good minded, you know, like mm-hmm. built to withstand the trail. Absolutely. Those are important things. But I think mm-hmm. for somebody like you that takes these long rides, that's stuff I wouldn't have thought of. Like a, a, a horse that really walks out can mm-hmm. cut hours off your, your time, which is more time for them to relax. That's smart. Yeah. And again, like just that calorie intake as well. Um, the more time they have at the end of the day to relax, the more time they have to, graze and I mean we'd stop during the day and graze as well I didn't just go like from A to B and be like that's it we're trucking through um if we did come across some really nice grazing patches we'd stop for a little while um I might sit and read a book for a little bit while film grazed (laughs) but um yeah I think that's kind of going to be if you're doing long rides like day in day out then if you have a horse that can get there quicker then those extra two or three hours at the end of the day, that's going to add up quite significantly over the course of a couple of months. Oh, definitely. Yeah. 
Uh, well, I, you know, I'm so grateful that you joined us today and, and caught us up on kind of a little bit of what's going on in your life and, and gave us some advice. And again, this, this has been a conversation with Jody Morton. Um, Jody, where can people follow along with you? We kind of mentioned at the beginning briefly, but if they want to follow your journey, learn more about you, where can they find you? Yeah, so I predominantly hang out on Instagram and the handle on there is green, gold and blues. So like green, the color, gold, the color and A-N-D and then blues, B-L-U-E-S. And so that'll be where you can find me and say Thelma and Saki. Yeah, yeah, check them out. And she posts like the most incredible writing videos. So even if you can't go this weekend, you can watch through the ears of Thelma. (laughs) So thank you, Jody. We're so glad that you were here. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Once again, we'd like to thank Purina for sponsoring this episode of The Ride. Thank you guys for tuning into the Ride Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Horse and Rider Magazine on social media and find us at horseandrider.com to see all the cool things that we're up to. And if you have any comments or questions, please be sure to hit us up at horseandrider at equinenetwork.com. We want to hear from you guys. And if you like what you're listening to, please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes.